Welcome to Clinical Governance in Equine Practice, Practical Examples of Quality Improvement. The following session was recorded at Ashbrook Equine Hospital during the RCVS Knowledge Equine Roadshow, kindly sponsored by the Horse Race Betting Levy Board and accredited by the British Equine Veterinary Association. Pam Mosdale, Chair of RCVS Knowledge Quality Improvement Advisory Board and Acting Lead Assessor and Veterinary Advisor for the Practice Standards Group, and Charlotte Hartley, RVN and Practice Standards Advisor for Northwest, advise on getting started with clinical audit in equine practice, discussing topics, benefits and barriers. The clinical audit case examples are available to view in our resources. diagram this morning that basically the whole encompassing thing of clinical governance which we now rather call quality improvement which is the way to do it um, that within that we want to be clinically effective we want to do the do the right thing and do it properly and the way to measure if we're doing the right thing is with, by clinical audit <coughs> so it's really again like all clinical governance it's not rocket science it's just about looking at what you do trying to make it better, but, but actually measuring what you do as well, so you can see whether it does need to be made better or whether it's actually fine. Um, there's, what do you think are the barriers to clinical audit? What would, what, why do practices not do it, do you think? Time and knowledge. I think those are the two main ones, massively. Time definitely seems to always be at the top there. Not knowing where to start, so on. Anything else? Yeah, sometimes people worry because their practice management system isn't easy to collect. Whose practice management system is easy to collect data from? I'd like to know. But um, yeah, but, but there's lots of things you can do that don't even need to use your practice management system. But yeah, those can, those can be barriers. And I think, do you think sometimes there can be barriers where people worry that someone else is looking at their performance and are going to compa compare them adversely with other people? I think that sometimes is a barrier. Anyway, so what are they about? They're about collecting data in a particular area of the practice. If you don't do it, how can you know what you're good at? We can get this that's nice warm glow, can't we? That we're good at this and we're good at that. But do we know what we actually are? Do we, or we might think we're not that good at that and, and actually we are. So really it's about measuring it. So because if we don't measure it, how do we know what needs to improve? And we can assess and audit areas like process, outcome, and significant event and performance. So it helps us to understand the care we deliver. It gives us some real proper data. It definitely encourages us to incorporate evidence-based medicine because audit is often around auditing around guidelines. And as Tim's told us this morning, that drawing up your guidelines or modifying your guidelines is all about looking at the evidence base. I think it is um, really good for improving ourselves professionally. It is CPD. And we can feel proud that we're doing a good job when we get good audit results. And it should improve outcomes and improve the care we give to patients, which at the end of the day is surely what we all want. That's the main point of veterinary practice. So, yeah, we, we've said about the barriers that, um, oh, so the benefits are really that you can standardise care a little bit more, have a bit more consistency if you've got the guidelines Tim talked about and you're auditing whether people are using them, then you, you can, you know, it's, not, it, it's annoying to clients when different people in the practice come out with different timescales when an animal should be seen again or blood sampled or whatever. Um, and, it, and it does comply with, with RCBS requirements too. So where do people go wrong then with clinical audit? Um, I think the biggest way that people go wrong is choosing the wrong subject and usually making it much too complicated um, and not spending that time. I mean, um, Tim finished with the, with the uh, 
prepare, um, fail to prepare, prepare to fail, didn't you? So, and um, that's, um, that's life, isn't it? But it's also very, very much so with, with clinical audit. The time spent in preparing is really, really well spent. Um, but I think people getting things much too complicated, trying to do research. Now, there's no reason not to do in-practice research, but in-practice research and clinical audit are two different things, and you need to be clear in your head at the beginning which one you're doing. Example, um, someone I know rang me up and um, he knew that I was interested in clinical audit, so he said, how can you help us do this clinical audit panel? He said, uh, I said, yeah, what's this about? He said, uh, well, we do some work for a rescue society, for um, to rescue kennels. So we want to look at whether dogs that have had already been vaccinated for kennel cough before they come in, compared to dogs that haven't, compared to dogs that get the vaccine on the day they arrive or get it two days later, get kennel cough within so many days, and then we're going to treat them with antibiotics A, B and C for five days or ten days respectively. And I went, whoa, stop, stop. Now, first of all, that's far too complicated. And secondly, you do some sort of research project to see which, what is the best treatment, what's the best time in vaccine, and what's the best treatment. So, you know, you're going to be unhappy if you try and do this. It's, it's going to go pear-shaped. So, you know, concentrate on one of those things and, and audit one of those things. And then I think the other massive um, mistake of, of clinical audit is not acting on the results. Going to all this effort, finding out your result, and then doing nothing about it, and not discussing it with your team, and not seeing how you, how you could possibly change it, and not auditing it again. So I think the audit and research thing, I think, um, is, is quite relevant to today. So um, research is all about deciding. So, so if you're looking at um, a small example, I apologise. Which anaesthetic gives the best survival rate in rabbits? That would be research. We're trying to find out what is the best thing. Clinical audit, rather, is looking at the areas in your own practice. So you might do, what is the survival rate of rabbits in our practice, using our anaesthetic protocols, or how well do we comply with our guidelines for rabbit GA? How, we've drawn up a guideline, how well do we comply with it? So can you see the difference there? Audit is, uh, research is all about the big, much bigger picture for the whole profession, what's the best, and audit is about measuring what you do in, in your practice. Um, and if anybody's interested in uh, survival rate of rabbits, and again, I said to Benavia Swan as well, there's a brilliant podcast, is it a podcast from Molly Varga about it, which is on BSABA website, if you remember, which came from our QI day at BSABA. So research is all about generating new knowledge, Whereas audit is seeing how we apply it in our own situation. Research probably needs ethical approval and, and audit generally doesn't. Research, as I said before, is big, large scale, long time, audit small, short scale. Um, and research has generalizable results. People can publish their papers um, uh, 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 on research projects, whereas audit is about what you do in your practice so the results are more relevant to you or that you could share them. And then the one I can't say, research has to be statistically significant <laughs> and um, audit doesn't. And then the next thing is choosing what type of audit to do. So you decided you, what, what you're going to audit and you decided you're going to do audit and it's not research and you've kept it to one small subject, you've not gone too mad. Then what type of audit? I think this is another way, think, way to think and it'll really help you as you go through it. So you can help do a structural audit. You want to check you have the right facilities available. Now that's um, a brilliant audit to start off for, with for an equine practice. Audit the vet's car boots. What equipment have they got in there? Who has got six hoof knives and <laughs> um, um, two or three 
or whatever, and head collars and, and hoof re um, shoe removing kits, etc. Um, so if you can do an equipment audit, you could also do a, um, a medicines audit of car boots. You can see who has got so many opened bottles of various medicines without any broach baits and gone well beyond when they should be in there. But that's, that would be a different audit. But a structure audit is quite an easy one to start with. Um, want to look at how we do something, how we follow a guideline or a protocol, that's a process audit. Want to look at the, what result we get for something as an outcome audit, so that might be the result of your castration audit, uh, any kind of surgical procedure. Something has gone wrong or right, as exactly what Alice has just been talking about now, a significant event audit, and that's where you look at one issue from beginning to end, and it was just illustrated brilliantly. Um, and that's a significant event audit. You don't have to collect numbers for that, but it's just as valuable for learning from. Trying to find out the best way to do things is research and not audit. And I think if you have those things in your mind, the thing about research and the thing about what type of audit, it helps you to focus on what it is you actually want to look at. So outcome audits are say look at the results. So you might look at something like anaesthetic deaths, cop castration, post-op infractions, well, the important thing is once you get the result, is it the result you expected? <coughs> then you talk to the team about why the result is how it is and, and what you could do to make things better and then implement changes and then audit again. That's the important thing. Out when you talk to most vets about clinical audit, they mostly think of, we mostly think about outcome audits. We tend to think about anaesthetic deaths and, and surgical procedures and, and outcomes because it's nice and easy to measure outcomes, isn't it? But process audits, I think, are the way forward for lots of veterinary practices. They're so easy to do, they're so quick, you can get information really, really quickly. And it's all about how you comply with guidelines and things. So it could be um, complying, complying with one of those diagnostic and treatment guidelines that you might have draw, drawn up for, um, for, you mentioned equine metabolic syndrome or whatever. Uh, it could be uh, um, dispensing protocols, and Charlotte's going to talk about exactly that in a minute could be cleaning protocols, um, it's how the team, it could be something like um, admission forms, anaesthetic admission forms, just going through and, and getting out the anaesthetic admission forms for last month and, get, and deciding what we're going to look for, whether they've got the name of the procedure, whether they've got, whether they've been signed by the owner and whether they've got an estimate on them. And you might have a result that says, yeah, 100% of the name of the procedure um, and 99% is signed, but only 50% of an estimate. And then you might think, well, we need to think about that process, how we can make clients aware of how much the cost is. So you could have some results, discuss them two weeks later, act on it, and, and then do it again a month later. But don't forget one thing about audit before we go into Charlotte's practical examples, is there's something called the Hawthorne effect. So when you start to audit something, it often just improves, apparently improves of its own accord to start with, because everybody's conscious of it. My example in my own practice when we did it was, um, we were doing quite a lot of audits and the reception team wanted to get involved so they wanted to do a client waiting time audit. So I thought, yeah, that's a good idea, let's do that. I did the client waiting time audit. God, the vets were so competitive. <laughs> really drove everybody to like try and be on time. <laughs> so the client waiting times improved dramatically just because somebody was actually measuring it and that's called the Hawthorne effect and it does wear off after a bit. So, yes, I think process audits are, if you've not done many audits in your practice, Outcome audits can take quite a long time to do, give you some brilliant information, but, but can take a long time. Process audits can be really quick, acted on, can be a whole team activity because they can involve practice managers and nurses. Personally, I find nurses, that, I mean, this is even if you weren't here, Charlotte, I find <laughs> nurses 
the best people to drive clinical audits and practices. We do it so consistently. Vets are great at coming up with the ideas, but nurses are good at actually implementing them. So just, I'll f just finish with this. We, uh, we saw the clinical audit cycle before. Have um, most of you seen this version of it? This is from RCPS Knowledge website and also from Royal College of General Practitioners. So choose your topic. Um, uh, so select your topic, then your criteria, exactly what so you have to focus down on your topic, exactly what it is you want to measure. Then the next bit is always uh, difficult where it says um, set a, about a standard, set a standard, because in human medicine they have standards for all sorts of things. We don't really have those. I think a target is a much better word, so you set your own target, which can either be by just doing it once without anything at all and then using what you, results you got the first time as your target for the next time. Or it could be if there is an, an evidence-based standard out there, then you can use that. Collect the data, number four. Analyze it, number five. Number six, very important. Oh, decide what needs to change. Implement your change, very important. And then, even more important, do it all over again. Re-audit after you've made the changes, re-audit, collect your data again in the same way, analyze your data in the same way, and then reflect on how that's changed. And then even then, that's not end of the process because you may decide, okay, that can, this part can be repeated continuously. You may decide, right, okay, we, we've improved a little bit, but what we're going to do is do this again in six months or again in a year. And even with good results, I think it's worth doing it again in a year or whatever to see what's happened. Okay, enough boring theory stuff from me. Charlotte is now going to talk to us about some practical examples. Okay, so for, for those of you who don't know me at all, um, I am... I was a small animal nurse for eight years, then I moved over to equine and I've been with equine now is it three years, three years, so this is my wonderful practice manager sat here in the audience as well, um, so it's quite daunting for me because I believe you're all vets and, I, and, there was, and apart from Julie <laughs> who's the practice manager, um, so I feel like I'm, I'm sort of a bit preaching to people who should know more, more than me, <laughs> it's quite scary. Um, <laughs> So it's a bit scary this, but we'll go with it anyway. Let's just go with it. Um, so 12 months ago, um, we did our practice standards um, accreditation and we sailed through our accreditation. I went on to do some practice standards awards. We sailed through our awards and we just thought we must be so good. We had such, such a good practice. And it was only when I started looking at doing CPDs and looking into things that I thought, actually, we, we're probably not because Working in practice standards, uh, and this is why I got into auditing a little bit more, is when I was going around the practices, I realised that people were really good at something and they got the, the practice standards accreditation and then they decided they didn't need to do it again because they weren't being reassessed for another four years. So they sort of were really, really good and then it all sort of went out by the by. So, and I sat there and I thought, I wonder if it's the same really in my practice because we don't really, didn't do many audits, did we Julie you can vouch for me here, we didn't do a lot of auditing, so I thought, right, I need, to, I need to have a look at it. So this is some of the reasons why I wanted to do some auditing. Um, I'll go through them very quickly. So um, improve clinical standards. So I just thought if we've got some standards where we're lacking a little bit, clinical auditing is definitely going to improve them so I can sit and we can talk about our, our outcomes of it and ways to improve it. So that's why we did it. Um, 
on here as well, we can look at data, we can look at the ways that we can deliver new processes, new policies, we can measure what we're actually doing, we can implement new policies, new guidelines, it helped, helped me gather information. It also maintains, so if you're really good and you don't drop your standards, it'll help maintain your standards, but also it'll make sure that you put new protocols and SOPs in place. Um, I'm a big believer that you can have an SOP, you can have a policy and a protocol in place, but you need to change it. It can't just be standardised all the time because things change and you've got to change and the practice changes. So you need to keep reviewing policies and protocols and changing them. And one good way of doing that is by doing clinical audits. Um, we can measure performance. We can have a look at how well we're doing things as a practice. We can try and influence other practices if we're doing really well by sharing our data. Um, we can look at the service that we're actually providing um, but more so we can we can make improvements so that's why we decided or i decided that we were going to move forward with with auditing these are some of the problems that i encountered so i'm not going to say it was really it, it's been a, a nice easy task it isn't um, it's not horrible but you do encounter problems some of these on here so for me access to information and records like Pam said, PMS systems, we all sort of put our head in our hands and say, no, we have the same, we had systems go down, data lost, we couldn't find it, things aren't put on the computer properly. So you always have that, that barrier there. Um, they seemed really complicated and daunting. So when I first decided to do my first clinical audit, I actually sat and on my desk for about an hour just staring at a screen thinking, I actually not got a clue what I'm doing, so somebody help me. Um, I actually did think they were really complicated, but they're not that bad. Um, I wasn't sure how to start it. We didn't have enough staffing levels, so all the vets would go out on all the calls, because we're in ambulatory vets, I must add that one. Um, all the vets disappear and we don't see anybody all afternoon. Um, then they all arrive later on when they've all finished the calls and trying to get them to start anything then is just not happening. Um, the phones are constantly ringing, so the girls in the office are, are generally working non-stop. So it was hard to, to make time to do them. The big brother, as I call it, again, Pam said it, we're not watching people, but people actually think if you're auditing them, they're gonna think that you're actually finding a blame, you know, having a bit of a blame culture and you've done this wrong, you've done that, and it's not about that. Um, and also it is time consuming. So them are the problems that I encountered when I was doing my clinical audits. So we're going back to this audit journey. This was, so I've got today for you, I've just got four audits that we've done. I'm not gonna go into huge in-depth detail. I, it's really basic, it's nice and simple. Um, and it's, I'm here to sort of say to people that if I can do it, anybody can do it. And this is how I've done it. So I had a look at our audit journey. So I chose my topic. So the first one that I'm gonna talk about is the use of Cascade Forms off license form. How many people in this room use them and get consent for them realistically <laughs> all the time that's brilliant then um I, so i knew when we were having our practice standards inspection the vets were fantastic at it and i kept getting these signed forms in and i was like this is amazing i'm i'm doing good here and then it was it dawned on me and i thought because i don't monitor these coming in they're just coming off the vets the girls in the office scan them onto the client record that's it i i don't get to see them so i thought i'm just actually going to have a little look so you'll be interested in this later and um, so i chose my topic the use of off license cascade forms so this is a process audit so we're looking at are they following practice policies to get a, 
an off-licence cascade form signed every time they dispense um, an off-licence drug within the 12-month period. Okay. Um, so it, I needed to make sure that it, so it was easily understood by everyone that this is what we're doing. I made sure all the staff were aware and that they were trying to confirm to practice policy and that of the RCVS and VMD. Let's see if they did later. So the target is 100%. That's what we should be targeting at no matter what. That is what the RCVS and the VMD stipulate we should be getting 100% signed. So I collected the data. So we looked at two of the most common Cascade pro products that we used in practice. So I pu pulled this off the PMS system. Um, so we looked at Dectamax and Caradox. Um, we reviewed the dispensing list and looked at the individual records. I had a look at the data on there. So um, I analysed it. I'm, I'll let you into a secret, it didn't get met, but we'll look at it in a little bit more detail. Um, so we tried to implement some change. So this is, this is the audit that's coming up. So I can't read it off there, it's terrible. Okay, so initially, so what we did to get the actual data, I printed off a list of the sales within a set period. So you've got to choose your period of when you want to do your audit. So we did it over, I can't remember what I put it on there, I think it was a three, six months, three months, I can't read it from here, um, a period of time, pulled off the data off the practice management of who'd had what, so who we've sold Caradox to, who we've sold Dectamax to. And then I sat and I looked on the practice management, it's dead simple, went onto the records, have they got a signed consent form scanned onto the record? Cross or tick, that was it, that's an audit, that's done. So I collated all the information. Initially, when I first did the audit, only 6% had been signed. I was absolutely mortified because previous to this, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. So this just shows that they can be doing it really good at one point, but if you're not on top of them and keeping up there and keeping a check, it may just slacken off a little bit. Um, so I was really disgusted with that. <laughs> um, so that we did 6%. So what I did then because of that, I thought, how can we find, um, what can we do to help the vets? So I sat with the vets, I told them that they sort of all held the head in the hands and they're like, well, sorry, Charlotte, we'll, we'll try again. So I said, well, what do you need? And they said, well, it's time. We don't have time when we're in our vans. You know, we, we finish our calls on, um, and, you know, signing pieces of paper. I've just not got time for it. And I forget what it's off license. And, you know, so I sat there and I thought, right, what we'll do. So I went onto the Beaver website. So I don't know if anybody else has done this. So I went onto the Beaver website and you can, download stickers that showed that they're, that they're a Cascade product and you can stick them on all the drugs that are in your dispensary that are on the Cascade product. Um, it does two things. Um, the client can scan it, the barcode on it, which is brilliant because it gives you the information on it. So that's one good thing. And the second thing was it just actually just reminded the vets that it was an off-license product and come on, little stickers saying it is, get a form signed. They then tried to tell me the forms were too long-winded and they couldn't fill them all in. So I wrote, I made it gen like a, a generic um, off-license consent form for them that they literally just filled in the client details, what the drug was and why they were using it. And then they got it signed. So they had the off-license forms, they had the actual stickers. Um, and the biggest thing was general compliance that they just, they just weren't doing it. Um, so we implemented that, we re-audited again I'm sorry, you can't read these. And if anybody does want copies of these so that you can look at them, just let me know and I'll email them to you because we have got them on email. Um, we re-audited again, this time 22%. So I did this quite quickly because 
I knew how I was coming here and I, I didn't want to leave it open and see whether we actually didn't do very well. So I, I, I didn't give them a, a big period of time before I re-audited, but I have done an interi interim audit um, and it came up to 22%. So we're onwards, we're going in the right direction. And as long as I keep auditing that, it's going to improve, okay? Um, and if it doesn't, we'll sit down again. Um, we have fortnightly vet meetings, um, clinical meetings, and we'll sit down and this is something that we discuss in our vet meetings. So we'll discuss the outcomes of all the audits and how we can, as a team, move forward. There's no point in me telling them what to do if it's not easy for them to do, if you will. Um, so we need to make sure we discuss it. So that was one of the, one of the audits that I've, com that I've completed. So the next audit that I'm going to discuss, so these are audits done all different times, not all just done now, um, is a dental um, audit. It was, it was in 2017 um, that Jill of decided that they were going to use um, dental charts. They didn't really have a good dental chart, did the jewel that they used for the, for the vets to go out uh, um, and practice. They just, sometimes they managed to download a copy off the, the Beaver website and use that if they remembered. But um, we decided that um, we didn't feel that we were giving the, the patients the, the, the quality of care in dentals that they should possibly be getting. And one of our vets, Kathleen, who loves doing dentals, said what we need is we need a really, really good dental form that everybody has to basically fill in. The client gets a copy, we get a copy to scan on the files, um, and we've got then clinical history of it. But also she said it makes you do a better examination. I'm not a vet, I, I don't know, but she seems to think if she's filling in a form, she she does it better than just going out and doing a routine dental. So we brought the, the, the forms in. So initially, um, when we actually did the um, audit, there were 57% of them that hadn't had an actual um, signed sheet, actual um, dental chart scanned onto the record. Um, so once that, that was before we got the actual, the record, uh, sorry, no, we got them initially. We did it after 12 months, 57% hadn't had them done. We redid the audit again, um, and 84% of all our patients currently have had dental charts put onto their actual um, records, which I think is, is really good. I think the vets are really doing well there. Um, it, I looked into this one a little bit deeper because I thought, well, I'm a bit, un I, I, like 100% of them to have it and I'd be really happy if they did. And when I looked at it, it was really interesting that the existing vets that were here on the first clinical audit, 96% of them had filled in the actual forms. And it was the new vets that we'd recently had in the last 12 months who weren't quite with, you know, they, they didn't follow pr procedures as much and they're probably not into a routine of doing things much. Um, and we had one at 50% and one at 74%. So uh, after the audit, we all sat down. Um, we didn't blame, didn't do any pinpointing or blame culture. We said there are several of that aren't doing it and they'll know who they are. So hopefully next time we do the audit, that will increase 
um, further on that. So on that one, to get the information on that, it was literally got out on the practice management system. You can pull off a list of who's, who's had a dental procedure and then just literally go into each dental procedure on the practice management system and have a look who's got a, a scanned on dental chart. So again, these are audits that receptionists can do, that admin staff can do, vet nurses can do. They're not just, these aren't, we're not saying all vets have to do these audits. This is every single member of the team can actually complete these audits. So this is one of the vet's audits so the vet has done this audit um, this is an audit it's an outcome audit to assess the current methods of castrations and to see if we can improve our complication rate um, so Kayleigh one of our vets um, had some time in practice and she said right I'm going to do you a cast the, the castration audit I said that's absolutely fantastic so she looked into the bench she, she had a look at the benchmarking figures for complication rates in equine castration standing castrations um, and the benchmark came back at 22% um, she did our um, audit well you see on here it's ongoing and this is why I've put this in because I didn't want to sit and preach to you all that we do an audit we, we make a change we do another audit and we're really really good I wanted to show people that these are ongoing all the time it's not something that you just do and then don't do carry, carry on with this is an ongoing audit still to complete we looked at the previous 12 months castrations and as a whole, we, ha we had 29% um, complication rates. And how she did that audit was she simply had a, a scale of zero to five, zero being, um, I think it was, they didn't even go, they didn't go back to them at all for any complications, one, a slight complication, so forth up the scale. So that's how she did it. Um, after the audit, she filled the form in, she sat down with the rest of the team in one of the clinical meetings. We were actually really quite happy with that. We didn't think that was a bad result, to be honest, considering we've never been audited on castrations. Um, so we have now set a target. So on that little journey, we've set our new target to get down to the benchmark figure of 22%. So we're going to re-audit this in 12 months because this, this is a brand new audit that she's just done. Um, so in 12 months time that will be re-audited and we'll see if we've got we've improved any on that um, so all the time that we're doing these audits we don't just do the audits and say that's it that's the audit them are the results going to improve they sit and discuss how they're actually going to improve um, on the um, castration audit it was she looked at the the dates of when the castrations were and there was um, she found that a lot of the castrations that we did were I think it was March, April, March time, April, which you think, oh, it's not, a, but it was actually really, really warm time of year when we look at this, this year in March and April, it was really warm, wet, really wet, quite moist. So potentially there was quite a lot of flies out there. So we've said, that's it. We're, we're not, we're going to make sure we're only doing the castrations in, in colder weather when it's a bit when there's not as many flies she did also look into it and it does have it all on here and like i said if you want to read them i will send them to you and um, she looked at how many had been given um depicillin as well and how long before surgery she'd been it had been given so her audit was slightly bigger than what mine is um but that has got to be re-audited so another easy audit that can be done um, by your receptionist and your admin team or your dispensing team 
um, is an, a process audit. So again, we were looking at whether the staff were actually following practice pro protocol for dispensing medication. So 100% of medication that gets handed to a client should be checked and should be signed, initialed on the thing to say, that is the correct product in that bag before it gets handed to the client. So initially, the po our policy for that was when it was actually dispensed by the vet and brought and got up back, got prepared by the um, the girls in the offices, that they would get a signature, a little initial on the label. It gets put in a box. When somebody comes in to collect it, the client has to sign to say that they've received them drugs. So when on the receive, when they go to receive it, the second gets a second check, like a, a, another signature on it to say, yeah, it's been checked before they get given over to the client. Are you with me on that one? Um, so I looked at how many dispensed and how many items had been dispensed without being signed because in my head if they've not signed for them if a client's just been given them they've not been checked because that's the process you check them you get the client to sign from them and, and they take them away so I had a look at this um, 42 percent of drugs um, over a period I think it was six months um, yeah six months um, so it was 42% had not been signed for. So for me, that's nearly 50% of drugs were handed over without being checked. I don't, you know, do we know what had been given out to, to customers? It, it, it really worried me that. So I, I've decided to do this audit. Um, we had a look at it again and 22% it had had not signed for it so we were improving I sat with the girls initially we didn't change our system because we actually thought well actually it is a good system it's just not being followed so let's try it again we tried it again it did increase it was improved we had 22 percent not signed for um, this time we've sat down we've had a discussion and we've changed the policy the, the, the policy of dispensing medication a little bit um, the practice now has um, we have managed to be able to have a vet in practice now all the time, which we didn't used to have because we're, we're very busy in-house now with, with um, patients coming in. It warranted us being able to have a vet in practice. They can do all their paperwork because this is something we gathered on feedback that vets were just too busy on the road. So we now have a staggered day in practice, don't we? So a vet comes into practice, they can get on with their paperwork, they can be around for clients coming in, they're there to answer any queries. And it's, it is working really well at the moment, isn't it? Um, so we've implemented the system that the vet in practice has to be the second signature on it. So as soon as the drugs are actually put onto the practice management system, they're actually then prepared by um, a member of staff and initialed and put into a different box now where the vet then has to sign, has to go through the box before it even gets down to this, the dispensary desk to actually be handed over. So again, this will be done again in six months time and we'll see whether that's improved as well. So that was just a bit of a whirlwind tour on how I've done um, auditing in practice. Um, again, I'm not, you know, like we were just saying, it, it is for everybody to audit. These are really basic, simple audits that we've done. Um, and I feel like we've probably come in at the end of some really in-depth conversations you've had. And I've told you how to do really simple audits. At the end, so it's probably been nice and lighthearted for you at the end. Um, but it's just to show that they are, they are there and they are doable. And I just, I sort of say to people, just I'd start doing them. It's really improved the way we are, we are working in practice. Um, so the forms that I used, um, 
I'm not sure you on there. If you go onto the RCVS Knowledge website, um, there is a clinical audit template on there. Um, I literally downloaded that from the website and that's what I put all my audits into and then I can keep them all together in an audit file and then we've got them there for discussions. Um, but on there as well, I know you were talking about significant event audit as well, because there, there is a template on there. Um, yeah, I actually did one two weeks ago. That's the first one that I've ever done using the, the RCVS Knowledge um, Significant Event um, Audit website. And I've actually, I've actually done it, so I'm really impressed with myself because I've done it. Audit course, which is an there hour, is. An hour yeah. It's a really good, I, I really, really rate this website and, and it's really helped me with my journey in, into completing clinical audits. So I hope that's helped. Has anybody got any questions about clinical audits and not hard ones though? Thank you, Sean. That was brilliant. It was so good to have really good practical examples and to involve the whole team, like we said right at the beginning. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> For free courses, examples and templates for quality improvement in your practice, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcvsknowledge.org.